I try to make sure I'm present in the moment in that natural setting. My toes are in the sand. Like I think about these things. I think about my, my place on the planet. Like I'm here right now, like in this massive planet and I'm just right here in the sand on this beach in this moment. And I'm like so privileged to be able to like do what I'm doing right now. And I get to go surf. Like it's so good. Welcome to nature junkie radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hello there, beautiful people. We have another fun episode for you today with Justin Wilkenfeld the co-founder and CEO of Kind Humans, where we go deep into what it takes to create and run a nature-friendly brand. I wanted to have Justin on the podcast because I'm just super inspired by people who run high-integrity brands that do right by people and planet health. It's not an easy job doing this sort of thing, and no one brand is perfect at it. But we need more people doing this kind of work. And I had a blast chatting with Justin as we got into his early life to see where he turned into a nature junkie, how the work he did at GoPro informed his overall approach to business and creating kind humans with his wife, Susie. If you're interested in supporting purposeful brands, creating one yourself, or shifting an existing one, I think you'll find Justin's experience super motivating. At the beginning of the convo, we do a short breathwork exercise to settle our nerves, and I invite you to do the same. If you're driving, maybe pull over for a moment. If you're at home or at work, take a little one-minute break to shift a little energy with some conscious breath. All right, enough mucking around. Let's jump into the conversation with Justin Wilkenfeld. Let's do this. Rock and roll. Should we do a quick little breath right before? I like it. I was thinking that. Let's do three rounds of a double inhale, exhale. Whew, double. Just to, so it, it goes like this. <sighs> a couple more. Okay. Hold this one at the top. Big one in. Let it go. Yeah. Let it settle in. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Our guest today is Justin Wilkenfeld. Justin is a friend, a surfer. He was the fourth employee at GoPro and played an integral role in growing that company into a global success. And more recently, he's the co-founder and CEO of Kind Humans, a brand that he runs with his wife. He's also father to two beautiful girls. Uh, Justin, so stoked to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Stoked to be here. Um, I'm stoked to have you, not only because you are really a kind human. Uh, I try. <laughs> At least the parts I know <laughs> about you. Um, but uh, honestly, that one of the reasons I want to have you be on that is uh, the work that you're with, doing with kind humans is so inspiring. I've been in the health and wellness world and brand world for a long time. And anytime I see someone 
really actively building something people and planet focus with so much integrity. It's super inspiring. Um, so, uh, thanks yeah. for being here, man. I mean, it goes, it goes both ways, man. I mean, just, uh, knowing that you've been in this space for so many years and really been kind of at the leading edge of part of the change we all want to see. Yeah. I think that that's also what kind humans is all about. I mean, we, we believe in business as a force for good, um, certainly. And we're trying to, you know, build the foundation the right way as a B Corp 1% for the planet climate neutral and, and being thoughtful and trying to give back with everything we do. But that being said, I mean, even the name itself, kind humans was about the fact there's a community out there that exists that is trying to do things with great intention for the better good, you know, thinking beyond themselves, thinking beyond their own timelines even. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, what's inspired me to try to build something to almost provide that home or a hub for that community. Um, as, and then from like a consumer perspective, just also building a home for conscious consumers. Cause I think Mm -hmm. more and more people are growing in their awareness of how things can be different and trying to manifest that. But Mm -hmm. I feel like we live in a very fragmented space. And so the more that we can kind of bring the tribes together into one, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of power can be gained if we can succeed in doing that. So that's a big part of what we're all about. You've spent a lot more time in nature than probably your average person, uh, your life. Unfortunately, I guess. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I really mean that I was thinking about it and all the stuff you've done with GoPro, your interest in surfing and other things probably have, you know, spent more time in nature than a lot of people. So anyone that spends time in nature knows weird shit goes down sometimes. <laughs> so what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you out in nature? I mean, it's definitely, there's a, there's a couple things. Um, probably the, I'll say it was like freaky even because, uh, you know, I'm out in the water and in, in uh, Central America surfing water super warm toasty just pure stoke <laughs> and then all of a sudden i feel like i'm getting bit by these tiny little things and i'm looking for them i can't see them it's like felt like like a jelly sting almost at first or something like that i'm like what the hell is going on here and like all of a sudden i'm getting bit like up my shorts <laughs> and i'm like this is not good like all of a sudden i'm literally thinking like something's going to go up the wrong hole (laughs) and I can't see it. I don't know what it is, but they're biting the crap out of me and it hurts. So I swam in, I got out of the water. I'm like trying to just itch these things off. And then I, I learned about no see (laughs) One of the guys like in the surf camp told me what's up. And I was like, Oh, so there's little organisms out there. And, and yeah, it just goes to show like, when you're immersed in it, you're going to run into all sorts of just random stuff that might make you uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? but, but that's part of, I guess, in some ways, the way I see it, the beauty of the world that we live in. And I mean, there's, it's just so fascinating, like how many different things exist and just microorganisms, even in our own bodies. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, people don't really think about things like that, but we're, we can't help but live kind of in concert with all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, 
Uh, yeah, so that was eye-opening, and ever since then, I wear like an undershort when I surf in <laughs> warm Central American water because uh, I don't want those things crawling up there. <laughs> Got to protect the package. Yeah. What? Where did nature come into your life in a way that you noticed it and had a kind of aha, like, whoa, there's something a bit more magical going on here? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about this a little bit, and I think, you know, I'll thank my parents first and foremost. I mean, mom and dad definitely got us in nature. And actually, I'll thank my mom because my mm -hmm. dad grew up in Brooklyn and I don't think he got outside of the city. Like Central Park was probably the, the most nature he saw until he was like 23, 24 years old. Um, but my mom, on the other hand, grew up in upstate New York in Schenectady. And uh, her dad was just big into the lakes and the Adirondacks and everything. Mm. And so for me, it was pretty early. I mean, I don't remember exactly how young I was when we first started going there during the mm. summers, but pretty young. I mean, elementary school for sure. And um, we would just take a summer trip, you know, a week or two out to New York to see the grandparents. Um, and during that time, we'd usually rent a cabin up on the Sacandaga Reservoir and... Mm. Um, yeah, it was just a epic summer fun place as a kid. And so, you know, like first time I experienced like big storms, like thunderstorms and lightning, the power went out and um, that's not something you get here in San Diego. <laughs> you know, so. We used to not. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that was like a pretty eye-opening experience. We're lighting candles, playing Monopoly in the dark, you know, and just like also being scared, you know, as a little kid, just like not sure if the house is going to stay standing because I didn't know any better. Um, or tree, you know, actually a tree got stuck by lightning and mm. like big section fell off, uh, right near our cabin. So, I mean, it was exciting. Um, but the aha moment was really, you know, like my granddad would take us down, we'd like fish off the dock and stuff like that. And he got me into the, like the rowboat. Mm. And so we would cruise out in the rowboat, you know, go try to catch some tiny little fish. Um, and there was just a morning where everybody was asleep. And I woke up at dawn and I just decided to cruise out and take the rowboat out. And it was like sheet glass, like, like little bit of mist coming mm. up off the lake. And it was just beautiful morning. Um, just epic. Right. And, and I just went out by myself solo for like probably 45 minutes and just kind of cruising up and down the like little coastline of this lake. Um, and I, yeah, it was just a special moment all to myself. And I don't, I, yeah, didn't ask or anything. I just like went for it. And I think I was supposed to have gone with an adult at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Solo expedition. Yeah, number but, one. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, just, yeah, I got out there and just had just like that special connection to the moment, you know, and, and it was cool. And I just had already been in love with water and it was just like, I, I don't know from that point on. I mean, I've always loved to row kayak. Mm. I, I mean, I, taking kayak classes i used to do kayak tours around la jolla, la jolla cove through the caves and stuff um i I'm, i dig stand-up paddle boarding mm. um even been out in these little lagoons you know mm -hmm. telling you on the little raft and stuff but 
Yeah, ever since the day I just like personal little watercraft, and it's funny because I should probably have like more in my life. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, that moment, man, New York. That's uh, that was the spot, and I mean, there's been other moments that have sort of continued to validate or build mm-hmm. on top of that. And I think you know certain hikes, you know, like San Gorgonia was like a pretty mm-hmm. solid. Like, you know, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I first hiked up that with my dad. So, uh, and when you were at the reservoir with the fam, mm-hmm. how old were you then? Just to get, uh, I was probably yeah, like between six and probably twelve. Like those years, where we were right. pr- making it pretty consistent, like every yeah. year. But when I, yeah, I mean, I'd say like six or seven when I was yeah. first kind of like clicked, like what the like reservoir was all about. Yeah, you know, and looking at the evidence of how how kids or anyone gets more uh, increases more nature connection you know really a lot of it comes down to influences from you know friends family environment and what what i'm hearing from you is you had it integrated in that you had the family trips it was normal obviously tons of cool emotions around that even just the monopoly playing or whatever right sitting around like that is such a cool time yeah no getting that connection with your family in a nature setting is i think it's pretty interesting right like we live in this world that we're in like western culture if you will cities and suburbia and whatnot Mm -hmm. and yeah we might go on our little hikes and stuff around here but Mm -hmm. it's definitely different when you get just go away like mm-hmm. you know i think getting away into nature and like really separating yourself from your own yeah. environment is also like an important piece of the puzzle cuz i think it's it's yeah it's just something about your comfort zone that i think numbs you a little bit to the world around you and like kind of diminishes that appreciation mm-hmm. or or you know recognition on a regular basis Justin's mixture of both fear from the lightning storms and awe of the transcendent morning on the rowboat are exactly the type of experiences in nature that help shape us as human beings. Justin's experience as a kid reminds me of a quote from Stephen Keller, a great social ecologist from his book, Kinship to Mastery. In that, he said, nature's capacity to intimidate captures our attention and commands our respect. Our respect and appreciation depend on fear and awe of the grizzly bear, the mighty storm, the great swamp, even the lowly bug. It's clear that this potent cocktail of emotions spurred by nature made a mark on Justin and kept him connecting with the power of water going forward in life. Where did surfing come into play? So those trips were six to 12. Where does surfing fit into the mix? Where was that introduced? Surfing was definitely a later thing. I mean, I was into boogie boarding, mm-hmm. going to the beach as a kid growing up, um, into swimming and stuff. So I was really always comfortable in the water, but it probably wasn't until I was, I think 12 that I took like a, I went to YMCA surf camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I was doing junior lifeguards actually around the same time. So I just started to get more integrated into beach culture, I guess you could say. And then, um, it was funny cause I took that surf camp, figured it out, could stand up and stuff. And I could kind of stand up on a boogie board even just in the whitewash or whatever. But, um, 
I was stoked. And then I borrowed a buddy's board, a neighbor's board, like a six foot fiberglass board. And the thing flips up and cuts open my knee. Like the first or second session after the surf camp, you know, yeah. I was like, um, no, I'm good. I'll just stick on the boogie board. And so I kept riding waves and I was totally fired up on waves, but, uh, I just really focused on riding the boogie, uh, but got good. Could like, do a little drop me, get barreled, do like El Rolos and get airs and stuff like that. So I actually like progressed at a level that it actually made it harder to get on a surfboard. Mm. Um, and it's super fun. But then in college, I ended up at UC San Diego, met a bunch of friends there in the dorms and whatnot. My roommate, Dan, uh, lifetime friend. I mean, everybody was surfing. I was like, all right, I'll try it again. You know? So I got a cheap board from a buddy, six, two Van Zanten and, uh, for like 35 bucks. And then freshman year of college, I just started to get after it. And um, I'd been a swimmer all throughout high school, so I was in really good shape. So I was actually able to, like, catch waves at blacks mm. and deal with the hold downs of getting crazy wipeouts because I really didn't belong on a surfboard in those conditions a lot of times, and I'd get just pummeled. But, uh, but it gave me, like, a humbling respect for the ocean, and I caught some amazing waves um and i remember the moment man scripps pier north side and like 1994 and i caught like it was like the last wave of the session and i was just bogging out there on my shortboard not getting anything and i caught a wave from right by the pier to the sand I was done. I, and from <laughs> that day forward, I hung up the, the the boogie board, and I actually never got back on it for years. I actually don't know how to ride them anymore. Like it's just like feels like so much slower. I mean, it's still riding waves, but um, there's just something so much cleaner with mm. riding a surfboard to me. Um, and I don't want to take away from people that love to ride a boogie board. It's not about that. It's just that you can do a lot more and just i mean there's a lot more to explore even mm -hmm. i think that alone for me was just like man now what can i do it's like and just the feeling of ripping a big turn or like just getting your trim lines set and just like getting that burst of speed it's just uh yeah there's not a lot of things like it that i've yeah. experienced at least yeah it's funny and I, I know you're not trying to dis uh boogie boarding and we have friends and ourselves that ride many different crafts in the water i, I always laugh at all the dumb arguments over like longboard versus shortboard this versus that you're in the ocean damn it enjoy it's sort of i mean it's kind of like the identity crisis it of, is. of the planet and it's like everybody's like so worried about making sure their identity is recognized and it's like yeah. dude you know what human yeah well, it's just a team human For the next part of our conversation, I want to understand how Justin turned his love of nature and a counterintuitive finance role with TD Ameritrade into a well-timed entry into GoPro, which at the time was about to become a massive global success. What I'm most curious about though is how Justin's time at GoPro shaped his brand sensibilities, his desire for impact, and how all of that is now culminating in his latest venture, Kind Humans. 
So let's let's segue there. I want to kind of segue through the financial piece to GoPro. Yeah. So you go from all that cool nature stuff, doing you know triple Lindy somersaults in front of people in hot air balloons, and you go, I'm going to go finance at TD Ameritrade, and you know, in hindsight, you're making it sound really weird. I'm trying to find the nature connection, but I guess I'll, money's I'll made of paper. You I'll you know? get you there. I'll yeah, get you yeah. there. Well, the segue that I see, feel free to expand and get into GoPro was because you were working on trading hours, you had the afternoons free to play, surf, all that. Yeah. That's totally what it was. It was yeah. the means to an end. I mean, there was like, get in at 5.30, done by 1.30 or 2. Um, that was you know that along with the paychecks the benefits um it just enabled me to live my lifestyle i could surf almost every day um you know had daylight every day like most Mm -hmm. of my friends like become weekend warriors during the winter months you know because the days are shorter uh and then it afforded me to be able to go on a surf trip or two every year you know and that was awesome go to costa rica go to mexico uh did an indonesia trip um so really, it just supported my lifestyle, even though I didn't really love the job. And it's funny because I got out of the whole trading financial advising side because I recognized that I really don't want to gamble other people's money. I really don't even like really love this finance stuff. It's like yeah. I could learn it and adapt to it. Like, And I was working my way up through management, but it definitely was not like a soul feeding job. Right. And I didn't get to have fun experiences like those other jobs uh, provided like in the actual job itself right so that's where i guess it was pretty interesting like how i ended up at gopro uh because i was building service teams towards the end and or managing a service team and it helped build up a small department that handled massive clients like our smallest clients were like 300 million in total assets and my job was to like get their assets moved from some other other platform to to the td platform um and just white glove customer service really at the end of the day and make yeah. it easy for them. And so Nick, good buddy from college who had started GoPro. Um, and there was a, you know, they were small company of three. Um, he and I were just wrapping out over the, you know, the, you know, he started the first camera launch in like 2004. Like I said, I started in 2000. I'd say by 2004, I was pretty desperate to already figure out a path out of the financial industry. Um, but it was a good job, good menus and, you know, had upside still. So I just kept going. But then Nick and I started talking. He was sending me his first cameras and I was like, these are really cool. Like great idea. And, and you know, how do I get in to like help out? Like I'll go sell to surf shops or whatever. Like, cause I had afternoons like free. So I, for me to moonlight that job would have been pretty easy. Um, however, we had another college friend that was kind of taking that, uh, on for San Diego. Um, so Nick's like, oh, it's not going to, I can't It'd be unfair to Paul. I was like, all right, cool. I get it. So here's one day he's just talking about how, uh, you know, and I guess this is fast forward, like three years into the camera, 2007, started to heat up talking with Nick about like me helping him out. And I was like really starting to get desperate to get out of my function and job at TD. But I'm like, dude, early thirties, like, how am I going to reinvent myself now? Um, but I can't imagine being here for 40 years, you know, or even just in the industry for the next, like, like my dad had done kind of stayed in the same industry for 40 years or whatever. Um, I just can't imagine living that way. 
Um, so anyways, I started bugging Nick enough and then he's just randomly one day talking about how he had to go do customer service emails. And I'm like, Oh yeah, what's, what's going on there? Like, cause I'm basically doing that for these advisors. Like just, it's like a different type of person. Yeah. And it's way more stuffy and annoying. Um, so anyways, he's just like, just described what he had to do and how it was like starting to become like a hassle or like just, he didn't have the time. I mean, he's building the website, he's designing product, he's doing marketing stuff. He's doing the photo shoots for the product. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was doing it all, which like full scrappy entrepreneur. Right. Um, so anyways, I convinced him to, to bring me on to build up customer service from the ground up and, you know, leveraging what I had learned from the corporate world of TD Ameritrade to apply to growing that aspect of the business for GoPro. Um, and then just in the nature of the startup world, you start putting on different hats and trying mm. out different things. And, you know, about a year, year and a half into it, I was really kind of primarily a sponsorship guy and, you know, seeding cameras and, you know, trying to proliferate our, our brand and our cameras and then turned over the customer service to, to another friend of ours that was also went to UC San Diego with us. You got to go do so many fun, interesting, cool things out in the field on location with some of the world's greatest athletes, artists, you name it. Are there any, uh, nature experiences that come to mind where you go, this is my job. It's hitting me right now. This is the moment that is as good as it gets. How did I get here? What, <laughs> what is this? Where am I? I mean, it's funny. In nature, of course. Sure. Well, it's funny because you're making me think of it in two different ways. Because as I progressed in my job at GoPro, um, I mean, initially it was like all hands on deck. I got to test products and like Nick's like, well, I need you to surf every day till we fix this problem or whatever. So that's like, you know, permission Done. to cool. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Permission to go surf, sir. All right. I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, but it was funny cause I'm like, I'd have three or four cameras on my board. So I looked like a freak out there. I was definitely like self-conscious about it, yeah. but, but whatever. I still got to surf every day. Um, but that being said, I mean, at first I got to be the guy, right? Like go to the events, like setting up cameras and it was cool. I'd like put it on an off-road truck and lo and behold, the guy would win the race, you know? And I, I'm getting thrown into this stuff like off-road truck racing, motocross, like hanging out with base jumpers and like kayakers, like people that I had not, like I didn't know in much about their worlds at all. Right. But I came to realize that the through line was passion. Mm. Right. And that all of these people were so passionate about their sport and, you know, all of it's outdoors. Right. And it's like their connection to nature. Right. If you're a motocross guy and you ride on the track, like you love trail riding and like you just love being in the dirt. And, you know, I think there's like a real connection to nature. It's different. And I think a lot of people you know, in, in the environmental environmentalist community might kind of, you know, shun it because they're like, ah, gas and motors mm -hmm. and everything like that. But you're still connected to it. You're riding trails. Absolutely. If you're on a bike, your motorbike, a pedal bike, whatever, you're still connecting. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it's really cool. Cause I got to do those things in the early days, but then I started to hire people that got to do those things. And so I mean, I'll, one trip in particular, like I had the pass to go to Indonesia to capture like footage with our first wide angle lens. I'd never been to Indonesia before. And, uh, 
Nick's like, I need you to go so we can get some killer footage. And I'm like, okay. But then he had a friend, this guy, Brad uh, Schmidt, that had been to Indo and like probably better surfer than me. And so I had a choice to either send Brad who would probably capture, like he was a filmmaker also. So like right. way more set up to do it and, or I just go cause I'd never been before. <laughs> so I opted to send Brad and Brad, you did? Brad took the trip to Indonesia and had an epic trip and got epic footage that we used for marketing purposes. Um, and so the, the reason why I bring that up is because that became a major part of my job, which was I got to send people on some of the most amazing experiences mm. of their lives. And, you know, yeah, you get to go camp out in Hawaii for three weeks and film all this killer stuff or like, yeah, I'm going to send you to South America and da, 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 da. And like, so I got to be like the guy sending people out on these amazing experiences and stuff and, and making those calls. Um, and I love it. Yeah, I, I'm so stoked that that was part of the job. Um, and yeah, I still got to go to plenty of places, but uh, it was funny because over time, like I totally got to do a lot fewer, and I was like spending more time in trade show halls and you know, like more of the corporate like business relationship side, mm. uh, and letting the team do a lot of the other stuff. And I'd make like show face, but I was trying to manage the whole like group. Right. And right. so I started getting vertical managers that are handling like each kind Different of sports sport, thing. Yeah. And they're the ones who we would say like, yeah, get invited to the birthday parties. Like mm. not like in the cheesy sense, but really like build a real quality relationship with these people. Right. So it's funny. Like I helped usher in like the Kelly Slater deal, like was the first guy to hang with him and meet him and like get him into the mix. But then like I slowly, sort of faded out of the hmm. like picture because he had like the manager and then there's a video guy. So it's just like all these people surrounding the relationship that carried it forward. Um, and so I don't have a relationship with Kelly now just because that wasn't really my priority after a while for the job. But I missed that part. Like actually that was part of the fun, part of the pioneering, like and real, I, I got real joy out of it and yeah. like challenging like guys like Kelly to come up with unique, creative ways of bringing their sport to life and yeah. you know like almost like competitively one-upping each other right um but back to the nature of like moment for me like one of the most fun like holy shit moments for me was i, I got a i had to go to whistler um uh, to it was like a, a crankworks event and so we had some mountain bikers that were competing and that were going to rock cameras. And I had a guy up in uh, Portland that met me there. This guy, Chris Jameson, he's like an old ESPN announcer, uh, uh -huh. pro snowboarder. Great dude that really helped uh, grow the early grassroots stuff uh, for GoPro um, in mountain biking and snow sports and stuff like that. And so anyways, we, we met up there, set up a booth and he gave me some of his like gear. Like he's like, I got some extra pads and bike and blah, blah, blah. So he had me dialed. The one thing he didn't do was give me a full face helmet. Everybody's <laughs> rocking a full face helmet there. I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm the only one with this little bucket helmet. <laughs> huh? Anyway, so, so it blew me away that you could ride the lift up to the top of the mountain mm -hmm. and just bomb this down, like enormous downhill like right. trail. And, um, 
you know, had a brand new camera like that these guys, like our distributor there had never seen. And they're like, dude, I've got to ride with it. Come on. And they're just pressing me, pressing me, pressing. And Nick's like, don't let go of that camera. Don't let it out of your sight or whatever. I'm like, okay. So they're like, all right, well, we'll just go on like a, a chill ride or whatever. I'm like, all right. And I hadn't gone down the mountain yet. It was like first ride. And the crew's up to like a pretty heavy line, it turns out. And there's three of these guys and me. And they're all kitted out, full face, the whole nine, right? And they're all like good mountain bikers. And I'm like an okay mountain biker. Mm. Um, but it was like, here we go. And so I'm like, I can't let that camera out of my sight. And like we start going down and hitting little jumps. And then all of a sudden we're hitting like some decent sized jumps. There's wall rides and stuff. And I'm like just trying to keep up. And I'm like watching these guys. Like literally I'm like hitting jumps. I'm just like... Oh, and I'm like, I just got to maintain their speed oh, no. and just keep tracking. Like, and I end up pulling it off, like make it down to the bottom. And like, I just look up the mountain. I'm like, holy crap. Like I just did that. And I didn't eat it. And we're doing like these wood bridges and it was like going through the Ewok forest, you know, it yeah. was, it was an amazing ride. Like completely changed like the paradigm for me from like cross country little local trails here in San Diego to like a mm. big mountain and like a downhill experience that I didn't even know existed really before that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just had a moment, just I, this the heart of Whistler, just like, man, like I'm getting paid mm. to like, I just got paid to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like this is amazing. Like what is my job right now? You know, I've like yeah. trips to Mount hood, like, like our first HD movie, like we filmed like in 2009 Mount hood, the same guy, JMO, a couple of like college kids met me, Tucker Perkins, who was a pro uh, mm. X games athlete at the time, like that we didn't work with, but managed to get everybody to show up for a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks each. And we filmed a cool little like July session like on the glacier and mm. I had never, that was another experience I had never had either. I'd been to like Lassen and stuff and like right. around a glacier in the summer, like in my shorts or whatever, but like to mm. actually be riding on the snow and, right. um, in a half pipe, like with like all this dirt and all like volcano and just like being on another planet, you know, it's like just stuff like that. I mean, yeah. just so cool, you know, just a very special part of the job. And then you multiply that times like our teams that have been able to experience all sorts of things. I mean, yeah. from crazy surf trips to, you know, amazing like, um, animal rescues. I mean, we helped oh, wow. film like, uh, white rhino, um, White Rhinos in Africa, like helped support a little documentary Damn. for a nonprofit there. Um, Jordan, who works on a Kind Humans team, uh, also helped on this project for uh, mountain gorillas uh, in Africa. Um, so, I mean, it's it's definitely like a special part of like the GoPro world mm. is that it, it's just been a great vehicle to connect with like so many people. And, and then you think about it, it's like all the footage we share it's promoting like and celebrating people outdoors mm -hmm. and just like bringing that to life. Right. Yeah. And it's such a great tool, uh, for that expression, I think. And while it's also part of the whole like narcissism, like yeah. phenomenon in, in recent era, I, I think it's still, it's not quite the same as just like the selfie because it is showing you something that's like, 
pretty wild. I mean, yeah. it's, it's out in nature and yeah. it's an experiential thing that does inspire others to yeah. potentially get off the couch and want to go do the same. Yeah. You know, ideally that's like part of the goal, but, yeah. um, but it's also like living vicariously. So it's like, you, you know, I think there's a probably a diminishing return on that, you know, mm. in terms of how effective it is in inspiring people to get out. Cause I think most people know they can't do those things. Mm. that make the like right it crosses over to the other side (laughs) yeah not real for me yeah i mean i'm not gonna do that like that's so far away but so i think there's some and you're not gonna publish a bunch of like mundane footage either yeah um so it's hard but i think that one thing that you know as we've been talking over the the last year or whatever and just deal, you know, working with the breath collective and, and just exploring my own sort of inner nature and, you know, things like that and breath and cold exposure and whatnot that, you know, I think that it's hard to find your own path. And like, I think the idea of the micro doses is a great one in the sense mm. that I think it's a t- obtainable, it's accessible. Yeah. Right. And I think that for a lot of people, when you see this aspirational content, or just like it's so, it's so far removed from normalcy yeah that it's not relatable yeah and so i think trying to get more grounding in obtainable accessible like practices that people can implement is something like that, you know hopefully we'll see more of and certainly that's something that we're very cognizant of as we yeah. develop kind humans one thing i want to extract from the gopro stuff real quick is Whenever we have brand conversations, I hear an underpinning of a bit of punk rockness, a little David and Goliath, mm. and like, let's change some shit. Yeah, uh, disruption, vision. sure. Yeah, and disruption. Did you get that from your time at GoPro, or where, if not, where did it come from? Uh, I think it. I I think it wasn't a proactive, <laughs> uh, you know, project like or or just endeavor at GoPro. I don't think yeah. we realized how disruptive we were being in the camera space mm-hmm. can reflect on it and look at how we decided to go about doing things. Mm-hmm. But I think one kind of critical piece of the GoPro puzzle in particular of why I think it succeeded was the connection to both the product and the community of people that we sold them to. Mm-hmm. And, and, I guess like the real essence of it was we were that community. Like we were part Mm -hmm. of it. We were very much the customer. Um, I would even say it to the team. It's like, be the customer, you know, like that to me, like everybody should know how to use a GoPro. I don't care what team you're on Mm -hmm. because that's the answer at the end of the day for us selling more product was like, everybody should be able to use this thing. It should be easy. So on and so forth. But if you work at a company that has a fun product, why wouldn't you want to use the product? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, go for it. And so, you know, I think that when we hired, I mean, so many of the people we hired were sort of these little sub-communities. Um, you know, somebody came from another brand because they knew somebody that worked mm-hmm. at the company, and then they would bring like three or four people eventually mm-hmm. over time from that company. And then so you'd get these little mm-hmm. small groups of people that already had trust. Yeah. And something about that to me was part of the special sauce of why yeah. we succeeded at GoPro and, how, and also why we stood out. Yeah. Um, so I think that authentic, building authentic relationships was critical and not just in a marketing perspective, but sales mm-hmm. also. So our sales people were out in the field, like hanging out, you know, and like mm-hmm. getting to know that our distributors, like 
breaking bread with the retail partners mm-hmm. and it enabled us to, you know, it's like a best buy when we eventually got there, for example, like our sales guy had been hanging out with like the counterpart and they were able to kind of like bypass the normal bureaucratic right. procedures for like testing in a Best Buy and they took a chance. And, uh, I mean, it was really groundbreaking because all of a sudden, you know, we were putting these POPs in Best Buy, you know, and like, right. And then it was like selling and they're like, Oh, all right. Yeah. We should put yeah. these in all the stores, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. But, um, same thing at the retail level with like surf shops, ski shops bike shops so on and so forth it's like building a real relationship with those people that are part of the community right and mm-hmm. like you know there's a struggle over the years to maintain that so you're talking about brand integrity we had like twenty five thousand retail doors at one point it's a lot less now yeah those are all core shops for the most part or even like rei or whatever right yeah. so you were where the community goes and like sort yeah. of looks for like what's new, what's happening, like, or yeah. just need to pick something up. Maybe I still buy it online or whatever, but yeah. it was a marketing beachhead that we'd built. So we had these moats that we built like strategically. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, Sony made a camera for someone else. We made cameras for ourselves. Right. There's nothing better than that. Like if you yeah. truly believe in the product, mm-hmm. there's a, kind of infectious quality to that right and and we just enjoyed ourselves you know and so i feel like some of the other competitors like actually weren't enjoying themselves and they actually like took issue with nick because he clearly was enjoying himself and they'd be like "Eh," like just like negative and you're like (laughs) one why are you talking about nick that's weird like like, or it's like but it's or like sony announces like the gopro killer right like Literally in their press release, it's like they're calling out uh, that their product's going to take out right. apparently the number one camera, which is GoPro. Yeah. So like, thanks for the free marketing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you just made, named us number one. But, um, but at yeah. any rate, I think that you know, we had a few key strategies that really yeah. helped the brand stand out. Yeah. I mean, GoPro, the name itself, GoPro, Go Professional. Yeah. That's what people aspire to yeah. be, right? So there's yeah. that element. But then we went to industry trade shows. We we didn't start at Best Buy. Like yeah. we started at Core Shops, uh, and we built that marketing like moat or that right. retail moat. So we had yeah. all those doors. Uh, my job in marketing was to secure the top, um, you know, one or two sports properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a strategy. It was like Project Boa yeah. is what we called it. Yeah. And the goal was to put a bow constriction on the market yeah. where, you know, we weren't going to allow the competition to really have yeah. a place to market like we were going to be able to. And, yeah. and it worked. We, we were first mover yeah. in creating the action sports category and then did enough deals, some of them small, some of them, you know, medium size, but mostly small in the beginning just to mm-hmm. get our foot in the door. But we would somehow manage to get exclusivity. And I think content rights was definitely like a... Mm a playing card we had because if any athlete could rock footage and like just turn that over to the brand, it would undermine Mm -hmm. the value that the, these promoters are trying to like offer you. They're like, well, this content's worth a hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, it was cool because for us it uh, it meant that they were going to protect it. Right. And so we carved it out where basically nobody could wear any other camera in sport. Yeah. You know, whether it was motocross or, uh, car racing and car racing was a little harder. 
Um, but for the most part, X games and action sports, adventure sports world, we were able to get exclusive rights. And so literally for like probably three or four years, uh, critical years when we had competition out there, I think that we sort of, uh, Oh, we created a vacuum where mm-hmm. they they could get athletes, but then the athletes couldn't rock their cameras in any of their sports events. Yeah. And so there could be yeah. a logo or what right. have you. But yeah. that combined with just building great relationships with a lot of the top yeah. athletes, like we just kind of had a takeover, yeah. you know, where and I seated so many cameras yeah. to the mid tier guys. And so yeah. all of a sudden it's like the majority of like a little group of yeah. bikers or whatever, there was like a whole crew rocking GoPros and we yeah. would do fun stuff. I mean, it was yeah. just super fun, right? Yeah. Like we go show up at an event, we give everybody cameras, yeah. then we make a cool video mashup and publish it. And then we are giving it to them. Their sponsors yeah. were stoked because they're like, oh sweet, our logo shows up and you know, like there's just more proliferation of content that yeah. they can share back. And so it was just like the perfect little, setup of you know brand built like by people that really live it and love it and then Mm -hmm. we just kept hiring people like that and i'd Mm -hmm. say we got to like 500 people where it just felt family you know it felt connected it felt like everybody lived the brand Uh, and i think that's an important aspect like before we went public i'd say that the type of people coming in the door lived the brand like more often than not yeah right or really like had a passion for what we were doing and then i think there was a a shift towards the money a little Mm. bit and the the sort of growing too fast also so you didn't have like the same types of people coming in the door you didn't necessarily have the same connections Mm. to like people hiring friends and things like that wasn't necessarily scalable i get that part and yeah it's it can get weird hiring friends also but um you know you overcome a lot of that with trust and support but but at any rate we grew really fast and then i think a lot of people saw the you know upcoming ipo and so there was just it it was a very exciting time for making money yeah and that it wasn't about selling cameras like and making like the best killer product and for for ourselves so much and it still was for some people obviously but i think a lot of the culture started to be undermined by the the kind of greed that goes with that moment in a company's trajectory yeah yeah i think what i heard from about the word of the punk rockness and disruption come in branding, it makes sense now because you were you're essentially working with, living with athletes, a bunch of people that don't have an ordinary approach to life totally. <laughs> in general. That's like so that true. was your yeah. that was your your fam, yeah, in a lot so of ways true. work fam. But the other thing you said about living it. I love, uh, I always love Seth Godin's take on this. You know, he calls it being a tastemaker when you're, when you're in that thing that you're doing, you know what your end consumer wants 10 minutes before they do, <laughs> which is it's, a cool one. It's, yeah. I love that. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, it's like I said with Sony, it's like they were making it for someone else to fit a category. And I think yeah. a lot of companies do that. And I mean, it's funny cause look at all the greenwashing that's been going on in recent history and. And I think that's like part of the challenge because I think that, you know, are you doing it like with intention or it's almost not, of course there's intention, but it's like, what's your intention? And I think if your intention is to meet the market 
yeah. because the segment is there and you yeah. haven't tapped it yet versus yeah. like really wanting to make the yeah. change happen yeah. and offering like better products or yeah. changing the way that your company does things as opposed to like additive like well yeah we can bring in this audience now Okay, let's talk about Kind Humans, which is this business that you started with your wife, Susie, in 2018, if I'm not getting that wrong. Yeah. And like at first when I read the founding story, um, you know, being in the natural products industry for so long, it's one I've heard quite a bit. At least the, the common part of it is had kids, something went a little bit sideways and you mm-hmm. realized, holy shit. We live in a toxic world. We got to do something about this. Like definitely heard that one before, but where it got, (laughs) where it went less common, you know, and took a twist was, you know, the aha moment you had with your wife after I forget if it was a dinner party or something and, and, you know, the discussion that was had around schools and stuff. Tell us that story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we were just getting ready to move back to uh, San Diego from Half Moon Bay after living up there and starting our family and um it was pretty fascinating like just dropping into our new neighborhood and meeting some of the new neighbors and um you know our kids were four and six at the time um actually no three and five i think and there was a pretty heady conversation about which school was the best school i was like you know, to the point where you're like, this sounds like a discussion that should happen in a few years, <laughs> not, <laughs> not for like our like preschool and like kindergartner, you know? Um, and yeah, it was just an interesting like moment. There was like a bit of a heated debate, like this school versus that school. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, wow, like it's that intense already. So Susie and I go back home and we were both a little bit like, I guess almost shell shocked. I mean, maybe little half moon Bay life had sheltered us from the realities of the rest of the world. Cause half moon Bay is like 15,000 people and you know, pretty small kind of like ag slash Silicon Valley community. Um, so anyways, yeah, we're just talking and Susie was just like, I, you know, I don't care if our kids are this best, the smartest, the fastest, like win, whatever. She's like, I just hope they're kind humans. You know, and in the meantime, I had been trying to ponder a business name uh, to, to start a consulting business around like marketing for causes or something along those lines and doing some sort of philanthropy or altruistic work. And uh, I was like, kind humans. That's kind of a cool. That, that has a ring to it. I wonder if that's even if, if somebody has that because I hadn't heard about it. So kindhumans.com, kindhumans.org were both available. And I was like, hmm. I think I'll swoop those up. <laughs> so I grabbed them without actually knowing exactly what we were trying to build yet. Um, but I felt like I, you know, I'm a brand guy and I think that finding a sticky name, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about on brand, I think GoPro's name is like, it, it's two syllables, like classic, like short, like four to six letter word, like classic marketing and stuff like GoPro nailed it. Um, but for me, I think deliberate marketing is something I think about and kind humans said it all and it just resonated like it, one because of what Susie had said around just wanting to raise kind humans, but also, you know, me seeing 
an opportunity to try to keep create that space for that community that we were seeing, you know, from our own experience of starting to be, become more aware of alternative options that are less toxic and more sustainable, better for people on the planet, uh, made with fair trade versus other ways and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's been an ongoing journey, still learning all the time, you know, in terms yeah. of things that we can change in our own daily lifestyle. Um, and for us, it started with our daughter getting a rash that the doctors couldn't figure out how to get rid of, uh, back in half moon Bay. And then, you know, there's a water report. There's a whole house filter available that you can buy. And I'm sitting there thinking like, how come there's no one trying to sell these to everybody in this community? Like mm -hmm. the, that's like money that could be made and you're providing people with a positive solution. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where the gears started to really kind of turn and towards, uh, this marketplace concept. Mm -hmm. Um, cause ultimately I think it's our choices, right. And like kind humans is based on people trying to make kind choices. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you can find ways to be kind to yourself, others in the planet, you know, incrementally, if we all took small steps to do something along those lines, it's going to result in a big change. And so that's really been the baseline kind of foundation for why we started kind humans and, you know, raising kind humans is definitely a theme that comes to mind as mm -hmm. parents. Uh, I think most of us want nothing more than for our kids to be kind and, you know, generous and, you know, good, good people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we live in a world where that's not encouraged as much as it should be. And yeah. I think that, you know, influencers has replaced role models mm. and that they're very distinctly different things and that you know a big part of what i'm hoping to do with kind humans and i think we've succeeded to some extent is to highlight the good role models and even if i look at like the world of sports and my background at gopro and all the awesome athletes that we've worked with over time i mean one thing about a lot of athletes is they are also engaged in their communities they're helping kids mm. learn and become the next generation or they're volunteering their time and their energy to give back or they're leveraging their platforms and their audiences to raise awareness for a cause that they believe in and things like mm. that but that's a really underserved narrative mm. in the world of media and social media it's like cnn heroes it's like once a year we're gonna talk about <laughs> awesome people doing good in the world and 99 percent of the time we're just gonna talk about crap and like dystopia, you know, and it's yeah. just fascinating that for whatever reason, like, the, and maybe it's the algorithms are like, oh, there's like mm. more like activities happening around bad stuff. So keep yeah. feeding the bad stuff out there because like, and it's like horror movies and all these dystopian nightmare things that are out mm. there. And it's like, really bothers me like on a deep level, because I think that we're programming society to be that. Mm -hmm. we're, te we're, we're providing a dream or a reality like that. It's like we, we, we strive to be what's around us yeah. a lot of times, right? We're products of our environment. And mm -hmm. so if we're just completely bombarding ourselves with all this negativity, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. I think that's a big part of why we are where we are today yeah. and like the shoot 'em up games. And like, why do you think more of it's happening? Well, mm. cause guess what? We show it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we're training the, the, like people to be that. And so the hope is that we can utilize the same, you know, 
sort of influence that can happen through brands, through content, through media, social media and news media content and the likes. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, movies, TV shows, like all of these things sort of come to mind for me in terms of how do we flip that script? Mm -hmm. How do we help shift the culture towards a more positive way? And I think part of that is to try to turn the spotlight away from all this negative stuff Mm -hmm. and to put the spotlight on the positive. So long winded way of getting back to sort of the baseline of kind humans and with the GoPro background also in the sense that like we were helping people to showcase what they're doing. Mm. right in their sports or activities it could be scientists and stuff too it wasn't always like sport but um so the idea the thesis is you know can you create a platform that showcases positive experiences or positive opportunities for people to think or do things in a more productive and positive way for for themselves and for society right and so i mean even as we're sort of you know finding our way and evolving as a company like that still stands true to me yeah. uh, in terms of you know just what do i want out of life you know like yeah. i want more access to people that are creating guideposts of opportunities to experience something different that might you know ground me make me feel better make me you know help me live longer within the things that i can control Mm -hmm. at least because i mean i can't get control getting hit by a car or something but you know the things within my control you know and i'm not perfect i'm like far from it i've still got plenty of stuff to work on that I battle with, whether it's vices or habits that I wish yeah. I had that, or I try for a little while and then I fall off. Like I'm mm-hmm. just like anybody else. Yeah. Um, but I'm enjoying the process of yeah. exploring these things. And yeah. I think that kind humans lends itself to yeah. my personal journey and exploration as much yeah. as it applies to the consumer audience that yeah. we have around us. Cause I think there's a growing appetite to explore those things specifically because yeah. people care about the future. They care about the kids, you know, kind of coming all the way back around, mm-hmm. like what's important, what school they went to, or the fact that they're going to like help nurture a healthy like planet, yeah, <laughs> like healthy community. Yeah. Like, dude, if we, that's like, to me, it's like, we're so good at solving so many things as humans, Yeah, but it's, we got to solve this culture issue. Yeah. Like we've got a major problem right now. And I think, yeah. you know, the smallness of this global world, yeah. It, it's making people freak yeah. out a little bit, yeah. but it's like also an opportunity, man. Like yeah. I think we can come together, you know, like more so And COVID sort of actually brought some of that to the surface. Mm-hmm. I feel like, cause we yeah. all, it didn't care. COVID don't yeah. care. It's so, it's so <laughs> your, your brand and business is so purposeful. Uh, and I love this idea of shifting. Uh, I heard a line by, uh, Jack Cornfield, I think on Tim Ferriss's podcast the other day, and he described our culture as a culture suffused with anxiety. <laughs> and you guys oh, are trying to great. create a business that is a shift from that. And, and it's so purposeful that it's easy to lose sight of that's a business too. So, so that we don't gloss over that. What, how do you describe what the business is? Sure. I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I think we're split and we, we've kind of got almost two in one in the sense that I think kind humans is a brand, uh, that really, I mean, in its simplicity just represents kindness and wants to spread the message of kindness. Um, it's, I guess the best way to put it is 
we want people to wear their values on their shirt, their hat, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and also to have those be inspiring. Um, you know, a lot of people give us feedback that wearing like a message on their head or, mm. or their shirt that it, it, you know, inspires or promotes like conversation. Um, it, it might cause somebody to smile, you know, but there's a cool little engagement that can happen because of a few words on an article of clothing. Mm-hmm that's unique and cool in its own right. But then you have this marketplace for good that we've been developing also, um, of sustainable, eco-friendly, non-toxic products, because in a large part, we want to, you know, pique people's curiosity to explore more facets of our daily lifestyle and to question more of it and to, you know, not necessarily just accept that things on the shelf are inherently safe for right. you and have been vetted out because the reality is that the bar is pretty low <laughs> in terms of what it takes to get a product on the shelf. Um, and you know, I've had the benefit of meeting people who used to work at the EPA and going to things like the natural products expos and mm-hmm. getting exposed to more information that frankly, I think as a marketer, it's been like the information stymied by marketing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the best uh, example that I have that I'm aware of was the truth campaign mm. against tobacco. Yeah. And it took what, like two decades for them to finally like admit to the truth, like through two, like fighting tooth and nail to not let the truth out. <laughs> right. And it took like a bit of a disruptive, like social campaign and marketing campaign yeah. combined with, the courts basically saying, no, you can't hide this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you saw a massive decrease in smoking and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that people won't still choose to do it. I don't think that's the point. You're never going to like, otherwise you're getting into like dictatorship stuff, right? right? Like you, that's, what's weird in our country. Like allow people to make a choice, yeah. but like, let's also inform them yeah. what the potential consequences are of that yeah. choice and then l- let them go for it. Right. Like yeah. that should be the American yeah. way in my Informed opinion. Informed choice. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, but we live like under like, even with the pandemic stuff, it's like shifty, you know, yeah. it's like convenience. It's like information by convenience as yeah. opposed to, uh, really being transparent. And so I think like for us specifically in kind humans, we want to be tra- as transparent as possible. We're not trying to be perfect because I think that's impossible. And I think that especially in the industry of sustainable products, it's an evolution. It's not an absolute, like there is no like cookie cutter, like way to do it. And there's only so many products or resources available that enable a company to create things at like the most sustainable possible, mm-hmm. right? Like that's going to keep moving and evolving over time. Yeah. But our goal is to basically create that space to enable us to almost create like advertorial, right? Where we're able to, because it's like, I love the product story, but I like the people story more. To me, it's about (laughs) the kind humans behind the product and their why. And you mentioned like our trigger was, you know, our daughter with her food allergies and water, like um, allergy um, that was our, sp- our trigger, but you come to find that there is that thing that happened to most of these innovators, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, made them more aware of a, something that could be solved, you know, yeah. like this is a problem. This isn't healthy. This is bad for the environment. This is bad for people, yeah. what have you. And I, and that's combined with this, 
you know, hopeful shift that I think is happening where it's not, it's about the triple bottom line and mm-hmm. it's, it's moving away from profit wins, right? Like profit is King, uh, cash is King. Like I think it's getting to this mentality of like, let's recognize that there's always an impact on the environment and that yeah. there are people impacted by the business that we're doing. And so yeah. we made a concerted effort to try to build the foundation of kind humans in a way that would help, you know, hopefully preserve its integrity over time, regardless of if I'm in the driver's yeah. seat or not. And so, yeah. you know, specifically designed it as a B corporation and that's a arduous task. I mean, it took yeah. us probably like six or seven months of tons of paperwork, yeah. a lot of back and forth. I mean, kudos to Dan Sack, who's uh leads our ops uh, efforts. And I mean, he took a lot of time and it's like a very deliberate process. They ask a lot of deep questions mm-hmm. and they also have some, you know, requirements as far as like how you run your business, how you treat your employees. Mm-hmm. Um, it forces you to deal with a lot of complexity that, you know, as a startup mm-hmm. and a new company, it was kind of like a little bit of like, uh, like, mm-hmm. are we putting in too much time to, to all of this when we're not even yeah. actually like selling much? Like, yeah. but you know, I decided that we wanted to invest in that infrastructure yeah. on the front end. And one reason is from the GoPro experience. Yeah. Nick, I mean, this is probably a couple of years. He's like, man, I wish we were 1% for the planet, yeah. but good luck convincing the shareholders now as a public company to mm-hmm. move 1% of our sales to 1% for the planet nonprofit. Like mm-hmm. that's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, that Can we would back be quite up there for a second. Yeah. yeah. I, I want people to really understand this, this difference. There are a lot of businesses out there right now that are, are purpose driven but they didn't start with this foundation and it's so much harder to change it later as much as it's hard to start that way. And I want to just say all respect to you for what you've done with kind humans from the very, you know, beginning and you're doing now, I'm going to just hit some of these things. B Corp certified 1% for the planet, which uh, folks means 1% of your total sales, uh, it doesn't have to be all in money. It could be in kind donations and stuff like that too. But 1% off the top, no matter what, is going to uh, planet causes. You guys do a 3% total give back on every sale that goes mm-hmm. to a cause. And we can talk more about that. Yep. You're carbon neutral certified. And then I don't know, this is a new one for me. Which then. means basically we're offsetting like our carbon footprint yeah. with our employees, any yeah. travel that we do, our yeah. office uh, footprint. Like we're basically helping to offset that uh, yeah. through that, uh, uh, yeah. through climate neutral. What, um, let, let's jump a little bit to, um, so you, you have these three pillars in the business. So community commerce and causes mm-hmm. on the causes, uh, just, you know, checking out the website and everything you guys have been doing, like, let, I wanted to kind of jump to the impact for a moment. Sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll just read a couple. You work with an organization called sea trees and you've, you know, planted nearly 7,000, uh, trees and mangroves. Uh, there's a water group called 501C3 where you've done nearly 200,000. It's probably more now of safe drinking water to Flint, Michigan, which I'm mm-hmm. guessing comes full circle to the stuff with your daughter. Yeah. And, and actually we've got two water boxes. There was Flint and then we, uh, helped deploy a second one in LA, uh, oh, right. on Skid Row. Awesome. And also, you know, uh, 35, you know, almost 35,000 hours of volunteerism, um, through the stoked organization, 
What yeah. t- talk about some of the causes? Any stories come to mind that uh, that move you from a nature perspective, or which one of those you feel like really plays in in that way? I mean, it's interesting because I think it's it goes back to our kind of themes of being mm-hmm. kind to yourself, others, and the planet. And I think that you know some of the choices that we make in terms of cause partners uh, is related to those three themes and wanting to. I guess on, on some level, one of my goals is to show the breadth mm. of what's out there and to sh- like not be narrowly focused. And even though I know that's yeah. like more effective, like for most businesses to stay in like a narrower focused lane, um, I think it's part of the challenge of our world today is like thinking about, I guess, um, some of the fundamentals, right? And so yeah. for me, the fundamental of mentorship and I love stoked in particular because they're using the medium of sport, mm-hmm. you know, action sports when like snow. Skate. So what do they do? Tell, so, tell so us what stoked, stoked Yeah. Is. So yeah. Stokes is basically taking high school kids. So grades nine through 12, um, and they're taking them through a step-by-step sort of year over year phased program mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it's at risk youth, and giving them an opportunity to experience something that can bring them joy. But it's not just like, let's go ride. There's like much more behind it. Mm -hmm. And they're uh, stoked is working specifically with, with schools uh, to implement these programs, both in LA and New York. And they recently started in Chicago last uh, year or so. But I mean, they're having kids build a skateboard Mm -hmm. from the ground up, they make their deck. They're literally like gluing the plywood together to, to make the stack. They're sanding it. They're putting on the grip tape, like choosing the trucks and wheels and everything like that. Yeah. And they're, and then they do their own artwork on their own deck. Oh, that's so cool. And so they end up with this like epic thing that they mm-hmm. made. Right. Yeah. And then they get to go up to the mountain maybe once or twice or whatever, like a little road trip and, mm-hmm get out, like get, get away, get in nature. Right. And, and get out of your headspace of like whatever challenges you might face yeah. at home or in school or whatever. So they create a safe space for these kids. Uh, and they expose them to something that they may derive passion from. Mm-hmm. So that may lead them to go after it. Right. right? Like for yeah. me, it's like I, get, I got passionate about surfing in college and then I decided to go to Costa Rica. I watched like endless summer too. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go there. I'm you going know? there. And it was like, uh, for me, one of like my, you know, like a major rite of passage moment in my life. And I can say for sure it's because of surfing, Mm. but it wasn't surfing that made that trip so special. It was actually Mm. a a bunch of other stuff that made that trip special. It was like the people I met. I went to the top of Mount Chiripo, like in no gear, like what was the wrong gear, but like 12,000 foot mountain. Um, yeah, just did cool stuff. And it was the experience of surfing and being outdoors that to me translated. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the same for these kids is it's like an opportunity to like expand their mind and their horizons of like what's possible. And then it's like a motivation to go get after something like whatever that thing may be. And so I think Mm -hmm. like, that's what, what I love about stoked, uh, sea trees, it's planting mangroves. I mean, no brainer. Let's just plant more trees. We need more, (laughs) uh, go hug one while you're at it. Yeah. Um, and they're doing great work. And I mean, it's funny because I, I met Steve from stoked at, a trade show way back in the GoPro days, sent them some cameras, uh, sea trees. We worked with a GoPro also. 
and we've been able to do a video with them now yeah. and, and that's like helping to elevate their game uh using gopro cameras but um and then the water thing like you said hits close to home so we started with those but over time i want to have more i just want to yeah. have like a directory or database yeah. and like be able to let people get behind the things that they believe yeah. in and then again aligning like your values with your actions yeah. and like can you on a personal level yeah. do things to support the things that you believe in and so i've picked things that i believe right. in and like we as a, a company believe in because of the yeah. people on the team yeah. um but i just want to like i guess on some levels let people know that there's a bunch of different stuff you could support mm. and some of it's easy. Like we yeah. just volunteered with the team. Like we took our own team out. We do kindness days that we started yeah. like once a month. So we went and fed people like 400 families on a Wednesday. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean just six people from our team and two people from our community showed up, you know, just through social media and they just like yeah. had never met us in person and they were all blown away that like, you know, Susie, myself, and like a handful of our team members are there. And then we help like creating a video asset. You know, Jordan's there from our team. Mm -hmm. He's making a little video that he shares with Feeding San Diego. They're going to share it with the news and like helps awesome. elevate the story, you know, yeah. and it's, that's what it's all about for us. It's like, yeah. how do you elevate these people? Yeah. Because it makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, like giving makes you feel good. It's like a beneficial thing. We have a book on our website, uh, Growing Young, by this woman, Marta Zaraska. And she's done all this research into how like optimism and giving and kindness actually helps you live longer and that like mm -hmm. diet and exercise are a significant part, Yeah. but community and engagement mm -hmm. and like having a positive mindset is almost more important mm -hmm. than like making sure you do your exercise and eat yeah. right every day. You yeah. know, like those totally. things will only get you so far, but yeah. And that's like back to the nature part. I think yep. that's as much a part of any of it is like yeah. being able to have that grounding and like mm -hmm. settle the crazy mind, the monkey mind, as Jay Shetty puts it. Yeah. Um, because I think our, like you said it earlier, our society is kind of thriving on anxiety right now. Mm -hmm. And and it's like so much of what's out there and even in the green space, right? Like yeah. sustainable world, climate change, like it's coming largely from a place of negativity. Yeah. Yeah, let's let, let's go into there for a minute. because yeah. I just uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm writing a blog about this. so It'll be on the website at some point. But cool. A couple in science, which is one of the more premiered science journals in the world. Uh, they there were two biodiversity papers published by some very deep end scientists study biodiversity. One was around uh, how much terrestrial land we need to protect to protect biodiversity. Uh, spoiler alert, but it's way more than we thought. And <laughs> we're not even hitting the lower goal. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but the second paper was uh, this group studied uh, biodiversity more from a, uh, where we need to have more connectivity between uh, uh, protected areas, so to speak, basically because animals need room to roam for mm. food and, and mating and all of that to keep healthy to populations. A diverse yeah. little but environment. I, but, yeah. but you know, one theme that's coming through in the convo from you and all the different jobs and things you've done is just the power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And when I read that paper, I'm a, a science background nerd, you know, even though I have the creative side as well, but I read these papers and I think this will be a blip and a headline somewhere. Not that many people, more scientists and peers of theirs will probably read it. And a few echo chamber stuff. Yeah. Echo chamber stuff. And it's freaking amazing work that they did. 
But I thought, damn, this this needs visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Imagine, you know, like going to these, there are a few pinch points they identified. And I was just imagining the animals that are passing through these pinch points and doing the work of widening that and all that. But it's so much more visual than a math problem. Um, and that it's just a nice ripple effect. Mm-hmm. The, the, the power of the storytelling you're talking about from some of the, the I hate to even use the word content because it kind of dumbs it down. Yeah, but, yeah. but that content and the ripple effect it has especially for these nonprofits, like you said, because most of them don't have a lot of marketing dollars or marketing sure. people. So it's no, it's, and that's like an yeah. interesting part of this for me and just where I'm, it's, it's funny because kind humans is very much a representation of both Susie and me. Yeah. And Susie's been the, the, you know, the, the queen of the marketplace and she's definitely the one behind the curation of the products. She, you know, when we first started having kids, she was, you know, we were fortunate where she could stay home and and could stop working for a while until we started this business. But, uh, (laughs) but you know, she was able to work at home, right? Yeah. It's it's great. Um, no, but it's, uh, she started to become a resource for friends and family Yeah, because she was doing the research and she Mm -hmm. was passionate about it because it was like, aha moment. It was like, one, it was like when our doctor couldn't solve the rash for Quinn and it was yeah. the bath water. It was like we had reverse osmosis under our sink, thinking mm. drinking water, we should be good. Yeah. So the whole house water was bad. Mm. So it was literally bath water because like, we put the whole house filter in and within two days after like switching her mm. bath, no more rash. Crazy. Immediately. And they were just giving us topicals and stuff. And so right. that was like a definite like seminal moment of like, Huh. So like the doctors don't always know. Cause you know, I kind of grew up. Yeah. My dad's like, like he's a PhD physicist and yeah. he's like scientists. No, or doctors are like the mm-hmm. end all be all kind of yeah. thing. And it's like, yeah. you know, I, I personally have come to believe that there are some amazing doctors, but then there are a lot of mechanics. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, it's like the difference between a, a car designer and engineer. Yeah and a mechanic and somebody that designed a car is much more suited to figure out root cause of a problem Mm. than the mechanic might be. Yeah. Right. And it's not to say that the mechanic can't, but of course they, I mean, there's amazing mechanics that reverse, it's like they reverse engineer, understand and like that understanding. Whereas like the person that designed it has like such an innate knowledge that Mm -hmm. like they can really get you there. So I think it's interesting with like Eastern and Western medicine even, and considering that I think Eastern medicine is more in tune with the body and the Mm -hmm. spirit and And the the environment around the body as well. (laughs) Oh yeah. And they're looking for root causes and trying to explore that and not just slap something on top, wipe it, you know, it's like rub it away, like take this pill or whatever. And I'm not actually going to fix, I'm just going to shut you up, Yeah, you know, get you out of the office and click the button until I can get another payment, you know? And it's just, it's so different than it's like the goal should be to get you to never come back. Yeah. And I think we live in this weird society right now where it's actually like, when you look at like food and drug administration, it's like, well, wait a second. So you're, you you control the food and the drugs? Wait a second. <laughs> wait, is there and, a link here? And wait, and the food is making me sick, so I need the drugs? Damn it, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and so anyways, like kind yeah. humans has been this like 
progression of like seeing yeah. that like unfolding and becoming more aware and maybe it's part of middle age maybe it's part of being a parent and it's just more knowledge now but for me i wanted to give back like i wanted to leverage what i've learned and it's basically the extension of gopro for a cause and yeah. leverage the marketing machine and the knowledge and experience i have and the, the storytelling part of it and see if i can help in that space and so we made it a point you know it's like coming on the heels of the success of gopro it's like what do you do like i could kick it like i could have just sat on my ass for the last several years and boring pretty boring <laughs> you know there's days that i'm definitely like why did i go this far i definitely should have figured out something less but at the same time like i believe the world needs it i think that we yeah. need more kindness i think we need more people to learn about people with intention to be inspired by, uh, to see them as role models. And so a large part of what we're trying to be is a place to share those stories and to humanize them. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like the, I mean, it's funny at GoPro yeah. would be, it's not about the speeds and feeds. It's about the experience that it gets you. Yeah. And like, that's, that was what mattered. And we said, we never talked about like the technical specs, hardly mm -hmm. ever with a GoPro. Right. And you'd see the other cameras, right? Oh, it's got a laser, and it's like this resolution, and da 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 da. da and we're like, like take it with go you. Go shoot amazing <laughs> footage and put it to rad music. Yeah. You know, and like we would basically make yeah. a music video montage highlight reel, and people were like, yeah, <laughs> and it's like gold every time. So, anyways, so with kind humans, we've made it a point. We've donated, yeah probably 20% of the revenue because mm. I, what I didn't want to do was take all this risk in starting up a business because yeah. it's hard. It's, there's, yeah. it's not a guarantee. Prior success does not guarantee future success. Not at all. So I've hedged it, I guess, in the sense that like I wanted to make sure that we're giving back Mm -hmm. and making a positive impact and like fulfilling my sort of philanthropic goals and not just yeah. like burning all this money and investing yeah. in the business that may not succeed. So yeah. it's sort of been this balancing act and we've been yeah. ag over aggressive. If you look at it from like, I guess conventional wisdom on yeah. some level, but it's unorthodox and it's okay. It's like our choice to decide to do it this way and it's right, wrong or indifferent. It sort of doesn't matter. It, yeah. it's, it is what it is, but I love what we've done. I've had like, you know, individuals write us letters saying what an impact we've made. I mean, this one gal that we just saw at Feeding San Diego the other day was like, oh, you guys helped me get through a really challenging time, like during mm -hmm. this pandemic, like you've made me feel like I'm part of something bigger that I'm, you know, that like there's still positive people in the world. Um, and, you, you know, I get DMs and stuff from people that like struggle with the positive mindset that we yeah. try to exude because they're like oh there's all sorts of horrible stuff you can't just ignore this horrible yeah. stuff and i'm like i'm not yeah. ignoring it this is actually yeah a reaction like yeah. kind humans is actually a reaction yeah. to the negativity yeah you're it's not turning straight a up eye. hell no yeah. and i don't need to, to dwell on it in a negative i don't need yeah. to, to give back negativity yeah to like, that's not my choice to, yeah. of how I would like to react. I mean, yeah. dude, but don't get me wrong. I yeah. get pissed. It's I get, to get angry. About it. <laughs> I drop F bombs about it. I'm like throwing the towel. There's too many a-holes. Dude, kind humans has been sued twice Yeah. by one, a billionaire yeah. for trying to say something that they didn't like one of our slogans. I won't go into detail. Yeah. Um, 
but we've been sued twice man and like that sucks like yeah, the, the, sucks. those are the types of things that really do challenge me to mm-hmm. like persevere keep going Let, let's less people think it's all kind of you know hugs and rainbows in the kind <laughs> humans world let's there let's are go. lots of hugs and rainbows yeah, but, but yeah. it's definitely not all the more all the that. better yeah right <laughs> um at the same time, you guys go really deep into the standards for your products. And I know Susie's heavily involved in that. So yeah, maybe that's another cr- convo for another time with her to really nerd out on it. But yeah, the credo, though, we call it the kind humans credo. Yeah. So just, you know, high level lay out the kind of cornerstones of how you guys vet products that you're going to sell um, on the site. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, so over the years i mean we've had various resources like uh, ewg.org was uh, kind of an eye-opener environmental or, working group exactly yeah. environmental working group and they've rated you know probably hundreds of thousands of products uh by now um to rate toxicity um of the ingredients and a lot of it's in the beauty and like skincare space but there's sunscreens uh they're reviewing water and um, you know, soaps and shampoos and so on and so forth. And it's a great reference point, mm-hmm. but I'll also sort of caveat that I think that they tend to have a pretty political slant, mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of their content. And I think yeah. that's, I get it and I'm not necessarily against yeah, it yeah. by any means. Like I probably agree with a lot of the things they have to say even, but I, I think it's divisive and it's not, um, it ends up sort of, I think, the combination of being a nonprofit that's like begging for dollars mm-hmm. all the time, right? Combined with like, so they have to like present an agenda to try to elicit a financial response, right? And you donating money to them. Uh, and I feel like they're catering to a specific audience and they aren't getting out of their own echo chamber as a result. Mm. And it feels less objective. Mm. And so it's been a struggle for us to, I guess, like make it super systematic. Yeah. Um, but I like what they've done. And so we've almost created like a triangulation using like a few different certifications and outside resources to help us like develop our credo. But at the end of the day, like the highlights are, you know, what are the ingredients and are they safe? And it's Mm -hmm. like the fewer chemicals, the better, better. (laughs) you know, it's pretty straightforward. But that being said, you look on shelves and like, you know, like coming from the space, like, yeah natural flavors i mean dude how many things have natural flavors that are anything yeah. but natural yeah. you know yeah. and they're not all created equal right they're not yeah. all crazy chemical right bad yeah some either. are fine and some are terrible right yeah. but yeah. but therein lies the rub where i think yeah. that there's a lack of transparency to fully define the inputs to products yeah and so i think we're even in an evolutionary cycle of that yeah. happening and my hope is just like calorie counting became a thing yeah. that a full transparency report becomes a requirement mm-hmm. and i think we're trying to inch towards that and you know to create a much more systematic like scientific approach like that's like a goal of, of yeah. mine and i think our business but for the time being the credo is like verifying like certain ingredients like pfas and things like that aren't included in the the products um we're looking for b corporations and you know companies that like have purpose but ultimately it's like are you fair trade uh are you know are you just making things the right way and as best as we can because it's not a perfect system in place right now like there's so many different certifications popping up and I don't know if you, if you watch like Seaspiracy, mm-hmm. but you know, when you look at like dolphin safe, 
and yeah. like them exposing that whole that was an bullshit. <laughs> like, oh god yeah Ugh. so you're like what can i believe these days yeah. you know and so yeah. yeah a lot of this is uh it's trial and error you yeah. know and in you saw this actually happen with the honest company uh yeah. several years ago where yeah. you know one of their they, they found some bad ingredients in yeah. one of their products or some of their products and yeah, at the end of the day, I think like there was a lot of flack that they got for it yeah. in that moment, mm-hmm. and I think that's just the way the world works these days. Like people yeah, freak out, but they actually don't know what yeah. was really going on. Which is, I mean, they're sourcing that product from someone else. They didn't like concoct the ingredients. Like that's a cocktail yeah. somebody else made. Can we go, let, yeah. let, let's dive a teeny bit deeper into that? Because I've worked yeah. on a lot of ingredient standards. I've worked with you know the global lead on whole foods in their standards and. This is not easy stuff and it's easy to, you know, shit on companies and brands, <laughs> right. but how easy it is. I mean, the, the level of, I mean, it's hard enough being a person standing in an aisle and looking at an ingredient list and just deciphering that sometimes. But then even when you are digging deeper, how deep you really have to go to get to the, the truth, it, you know, for I'll just it's impossible, a, a dumb basically. example, it's like you might get a spec sheet from a supplier uh, and it says, you know, this process solvent and you're like, okay, well solvents yeah. include everything from water to hexane <laughs> and everything in between, which is it? And you go ask them that and you get the runaround or you get kind of a weird answer. It isn't really clear. So it's, I, I want people to take away how much work you guys are doing in it and anyone, even, even honest with their intentions. I don't even know all the, they, they might've been very well trying to figure it out and didn't have the right info. And it's easy to make mistakes too, is the yeah, point. And that's and what it, you do yeah. with that though. Right. Yeah. And I think in their case, they stopped that they discontinued yeah. the product yeah. and they've moved forward. And it's just interesting. Cause yeah, the social consensus is oftentimes really harsh about those things. But mm-hmm. for us, I mean, look, I mean, our most popular items been our hat. They're plastic. Mm. it's a freaking plastic hat i mean we've gone out and made our own this is like a to the point of the challenge i couldn't find an alternative trucker hat yeah and it's like oh it's like the most popular thing (laughs) damn Damn it it. you know like what now like and so literally we like tooth and fighting tooth and nail like with to find a manufacturer that could do it for us but we found one you know awesome support there and they they worked with us on it but i mean i had to go out and make literally like ten thousand blank hats in order to to get to a minimum order quantity so it's like luckily we could afford to do that yeah it's not something most companies would do yeah but we're trying to hedge like a couple different avenues and you know we're trying to vertically integrate in some cases like in Mm -hmm. this case yeah because it didn't exist i'm like well maybe we'll make it and we can now Mm offer our end customer this hat that's a better version. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. love it to not be plastic, but at least we're reusing plastic. But um, now we can offer these blanks to other companies. Mm. So we've had like some small runs, a couple hundred here, a couple hundred there, but we're able to sell it at a promo like price and yeah. replace the alternative, which isn't quite as good as yeah. you know, in our opinion, but yeah. that's going to continue to be an evolution, yeah. you know, and like, to the integrity piece and commitment mm-hmm. level. I mean, I could have just continued to sit on the virgin plastic hat, yeah. um, but we're trying to maintain that level of integrity throughout this process, and it's just going to continue to evolve. And you know, to your point on the standards, I would love to figure out like how to 
build that and maybe this is like a later conversation for us and just to to build some more like standardization in in sort of like how you can filter products at a like on a systematic level where it's like an app or yeah you know there's people out there that have done it it, so it's like maybe we can partner with one of them or Mm -hmm. something like that but i think that's like a way that it can scale yeah and ultimately the goal is to empower the consumer to consume more consciously period and it's even as we're evolving our business like this is something i think about a lot where we've been talking a lot about physical products yeah and those hard goods daily lifestyle things in your kitchen and your bathroom and your laundry and just consumable stuff that you're going to keep using Mm -hmm. but then i start to think a lot about like the content that we consume and that we need more conscious consumption around the media content all media and it's like social media news media educational media and so on and to your point on the the scientific papers like that's a marketing problem yep that's like a a hundred percent like where i'm like (laughs) like i go to the natural products expo i'm like man there's a lot of room for growth here i don't want to like say a negative thing about it (laughs) so much as i want to say there's room for opportunity yeah to really like grow into a better visual storytelling mm-hmm. and marketing like world. Cause that's why it's losing, you know, like in my opinion, like you've got fast foods, got billions of dollars of ad dollars that they're just throwing it in your face all day long with these colors that they know resonate orange or yellow and red. Mm-hmm. Something about that makes you want to go buy a fucking burger. You know? I know. <laughs> like, I know. I was, I was reading some marketing <laughs> publication the other day and our newsletter. And it was, you know, it was a little mini article about McDonald's having 2 million TikTok followers. And I just thought, where are we at? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, it's a problem. But see, and there's uh, like, I, I think this is actually the, there in the heart of this, it comes back to culture. Yeah. Because money is going to, I said this the other day to a friend. It's like money goes where culture flows. Mm-hmm. And if we can get the culture to shift, the money's going to shift with it because if you could get it to where the McDonald's executives or whatever, yeah. were like the athlete that's going to get the sponsorship deal. Mm-hmm. If they don't actually eat that product. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. What kind of integrity is that? Yeah. So how do we figure out the solution where you, you get people to basically, make sure that those values and those actions are aligned. Right. And you don't just like the dollar doesn't like trump your integrity. Right. If we can affect the culture and get people to choose different addictions, Mm -hmm. I mean like become a nature junkie. Yeah. Um, I think like that is what it becomes like that. Like we're addicted to stuff, whatever the stuff is. I'm addicted to surfing. I'm addicted Mm -hmm. to breath work. I'm addicted to my phone. I'm addicted to food. Like there's, that's just what we are. We, we can't help ourselves. I mean, we we fall into these things, but like healthy habits, like healthy addictions, you know, it's like addiction doesn't even have to be a bad word. We, we've kind of made it that, but there's healthy addictions. Um, so yeah, I think that that's our goal is just to try to encourage and promote healthier addictions, if you will, and 
yeah, yeah. here to help support this one too because i i mean nature is, is the key man i mean i think that if people were more in touch with nature their own nature you know and you know working with the breath collective like helped unlock that for me like just to get into breath work and i'm still learning a lot but breath work and cold exposure was like oh like a wake-up call yeah. of like understanding my own like physical nature much more so in my mental nature as well um but that that's like as much a part of being in nature as anything mm-hmm. else yeah. and that was in your landscape yeah <laughs> did your yeah. terrain you know the whole terrain theory yeah. and like what we do to our bodies to like make it's like how we react to the world yeah you know i think it's yeah. uh, it all matters man and and yeah. i'm just uh, stoked that people like yourself and you know so many others out there are doing it and mm-hmm. it's just a matter of like how do we stand out yeah you know like as marketers yeah. that's yours and my job and there's a bunch forces. of others too like let's figure out how to crack the code because i think if we can build the momentum around sort of this genre mm-hmm. of you know more mindful practices across yeah. like you know whatever personal professional yeah. uh community uh, yeah. aspects of life i think that we can make the world a better place yeah In the last part of this conversation, we ponder the definition of nature, and Justin shares his top three recommendations for how to connect with nature on the regular. What's your definition of nature? I actually really like struggle with how to define it. <laughs> I, that's a good question, man. That's a, I think you would, you're probably going to get a lot of unique answers. Uh, I think for me... I mean, it's, yeah, it's like nature is everything to be like, it's everything around us, including us. Um, it's like energy. It's like, to me, it's like the energy that is, you know, like the sort of foundation of life. Um, and it's just something about like thinking of nature being everything around us and that we are we are it and somehow we've created this notion of a separation mm-hmm. of us from nature but it's like we are we can't escape it it is it is us too like it's everything like to me right and it's that like inherent energy and it's just like whatever that came from or why it is who knows mm-hmm. but i appreciate the heck out of it i mean it's like the air we breathe like i mean it's funny cuz like people say there's distance between us, but if you kind of think about it in terms of like the air between us mm-hmm. connects us all. Yeah. Literally like we're all breathing the exact same air. And like, if you think of air as matter, there's literally zero space between you and me. Mm-hmm. Like our, our, we are part of the same and ener- like yeah. global it's energy, one universal field. energy. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, takes on these different forms it's like in the ocean right like all these organisms are moving around in that space but like they're all connected by the water it's the same concept right yeah and we're just floating around this big aquarium of planet earth and you know like floating (laughs) through space and time and it's just fascinating because i guess like in the end what's important and to me it's important just that life perpetuates itself
What are three ways of connecting with nature that, that really work for you that someone might be able to try? Uh, I make it, well, there's, I think your inner nature, uh, I think trying breath work is really cool. Um, for me, it actually took getting in the cold tub to kind of break through on sort of reaching that state of meditation and Mm -hmm. like being like truly grounded. Like I've always struggled like normal meditation and I've gotten there before for sure. But getting in the cold made that like forces snaps you in, like you're right there. But um, but that said, like just doing breathwork courses with OBC uh, or even just on my own, like sometimes in the car, uh, I find that if I I can hit like a level of breathwork five minutes or something, that that feels very grounding. It sort of like cuts into the second one, which is um, like I try to wake up at like with the sunrise yeah, and that's just me. Like I don't need the alarm or anything, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I sort of shift as the time changes and stuff. And so I've found like a cool circadian rhythm in it. But what I love to do is like, I get to the beach in the morning and, uh, it doesn't have to be the morning, obviously for anybody, it's like, choose your time. But, uh, I try to make sure I'm present in the moment in that natural setting my toes are in the sand. Like I think about these things. I think about mm-hmm. my, my place on the planet. Like I'm here right now, like in this massive planet and I'm just right here in the sand on this beach in this moment. And I'm like so privileged to be able to like do what I'm doing right now. And I get to go surf. Like it's so mm-hmm. good. But, but I take five, I, I do three cycles of five breaths. I stretch up to the sky and I take like eyes are closed usually and it's like five breaths just nice deep slow steady breaths I stretch down to my toes and I do the same and then I do a little like crouch and this is just a little routine I do right before I surf when I forget to do it I feel slightly unsettled when I go Mm. get in the water Um, and it's just like it could be before you do anything it could just be taking a moment to do it so the advice is just to like find a moment to take like 15 or 20 breaths and just recognize your presence in that mm. moment in that space and try to just remember like we're stoked to be alive like stoked to be mm-hmm. able to take those breaths you know and i think like if you can just let everything wash away for that like 15 20 seconds yeah it's just nice you know it, like leaves me with like a calm like present kind of feeling you yeah. know And then I think the last thing I would offer is just like take steps forward, baby steps. Like I'm a huge fan of baby steps. Like even if you don't know the destin, like the end point, like the end destination, I think that people oftentimes get very caught up in ideas and speculation even, right? Even like playing entire storylines out and which is like, just make believe like at the end of the day, yeah. It's could be a good healthy exercise, but it's still f- fantasy. It's like a dream. It's all up here. You're like filling in people's words and conversations and it's all this stuff that's going on in your head, but that's all it is. It's stuff that's going on in your head. Yeah. So, if you want something to change, I think it's important to take steps forward. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to take an action and do something, like instead of trying to think about the whole thing and try to map out every last <laughs> detail, 
like you can paralyze yourself. It's like paralysis by analysis, right? So to me, it's good to sort of move between those two states and find like you've got to, I love the North Star and having like a goal Mm -hmm. and a destination, but I try to avoid making that like the end all be all because Mm -hmm. whatever happens will happen, right? And nothing, especially in startup business, like in life, like things don't generally go according to a specific plan, right? There's always curveballs and things that'll catch you off guard. So at the end of the day, if you want to make progress, it's about taking those baby steps forward. And like for me, for kind humans, it was set up the LLC, get the website domain. That's where it started. I didn't know all of the stuff that we were going to end up doing by any stretch of the imagination, but I knew that if I didn't do anything, to start the process that I would just be st- talking about it. It would just be an idea. It would yeah. never start to become real. And the same could be said for self-help exercise, trying to kick addictions, what have you, like you've just got to chip away. You got to try and it's, you're, you're going to meet challenges and maybe you have to pivot and do something totally different, mm-hmm. be, but you'll learn only by actually taking steps forward and you're doing it with nature junkie. I mean, yeah. it's just, that's what it takes. But, uh, but I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by their imagination of like all the steps and they're like trying to think 30 steps ahead. And then you're like, Oh my God, like I've got all this anxiety cause that's impossible. It's like, no, but if you've taken, if you could get to five steps, you're already closer to the 30th step. So it's going to get easier as you go and you just can't spend too much time in the future. Yeah. Can't spend too much time in the past. You got to like make sure yeah. to check in on both ends, but dude, live in that present and take steps. Yeah. I love all three of those. I mean, there's so much presence in all of that. I mean, the um and first of all, the the breath work and in the way in which you force some presence for a few moments when you're going to surf in the morning, like none of that costs anything. It's about just taking the moment. Um, we'll leave the surfboard aside on the cost, but you're, you're deciding <laughs> you to take swim. That, Yeah. Yeah. You can go for a swim. I sometimes say it's the water, not the board, but, right. <laughs> but that's awesome. And on the taking steps, I mean, what you're saying is so proven in science around behavior change as well, uh, around just taking those baby steps and moving things forward as easy and as, and wherever you're at to your earlier point about kind humans meeting people where they're at. We all have a, a choice in that and where we can move at least a little bit forward. And, um, that tends to work better. So, yeah. um, last one, any calls to action requests, anything you want to ask of the audience, we'll provide, you know, links to your website and cool. social and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, well, first and foremost, like I think if everybody could take a moment just to consider what being kind to yourself, others and the planet means to you. So I definitely feel like that's something to take a little time on. Um, but really, I mean, we're just trying to grow our community. I think that there's strength in numbers. And I think one of our challenges is to try to navigate this crazy digital age of, you know, online marketing, we're an online store. Um, but some of the most resonant things that we've been able to do are in the real world, meeting mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, so I'd love it if people hopped on the train with us and, you know, as we continue to grow this, um, with the goal of maintaining a high level of integrity and really just trying to be a po- like 
part of a positive shift forward, a paradigm shift, if you will, towards a different way of doing things culturally. Um, cause I think that will trickle down into business and sort of the subcultures that exist. And so, you know, for right now, join the movement. It's simple. Get yourself a cool hat or a shirt that <laughs> has a message on it that, that, you know, does promote kindness at the end of the day. I think that's where it starts. And then, I mean, if you're interested, we got a bunch of cool third party products as well from amazing brands built by real people that have like taken it upon themselves to create products, um, that are better, you know, that are healthier for you and your family. Um, and then, yeah, that's going to be an ongoing process and I'm stoked to see that it's growing, you know, and, uh, we hope to continue to be a, a big part of that. Yeah. Well, uh, Justin, thanks so much for, being on the podcast and taking a risk because we don't have an audience yet. Ah. <laughs> you're, you're going early. We'll have you back. It's all good. But uh, stoked to get more time with you, man. Yeah, of course we burned many hours here. We might have to break this up into a couple yeah, or yeah. we'll figure that out. But really thanks for your time, energy for you and Susie and your team at kind humans for everything that you're doing and building a nature friendly business is no small task. And thanks for doing what you do and look forward to having a lot more fun together yeah, right in the on. future. Thanks, Jeff. That's oh, fun, man. Let's talk more. You. Ah, I always enjoy wrapping out with Justin about life. And this conversation was another one that inspired me to be a better human, to share a bit more kindness for myself, for the people around me and for the planet. And I hope it helps you do the same. If you're interested in learning more about kind humans, visit kindhumans.com, which is an ethical marketplace for planet friendly products, or check out their Instagram feed at kindhumans underscore movement. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com. That's where you can find show notes, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all things nature connection, and you can even share a microdose. Yeah, send us a microdose. Of nature, that is. At Nature Junkie, we refer to brief and consistent connections to nature as microdosing nature. We love microdosing nature because it's a powerful way to create and stick with healthy habits by making them small and easy. If you each share one simple way that you love to connect with nature, then ultimately we'll create a diverse library of inspiration to help us all get and stay connected to nature. We plan to share your microdoses on our website and in future episodes of the podcast. To share yours, simply go to the bottom of any page of our website at naturejunkielife.com or email us at hello at naturejunkielife.com. Microdose nature and replenish your stoke.